Welcome back to Noob School. Got uh, one of my longtime friends and colleagues here today, uh, TJ Pomian. Welcome, TJ. Thanks, John. Great to see you. Man, so glad you're here. Yeah, it's great to be here. We've been working on this for a while. I know you have. You've been really blowing my phone up. I know. So uh, what, what, you're, you're, you're one of the out-of-towners. I mean, you live in Atlanta now, but you're, you travel pretty Everywhere. good bit. All the time. How many countries have you traveled to? Oh, gosh. I think I'm up to 90 now. 90. <laughs> 90. Trying to get to 100. Yeah. You told me I need to get to 100. Yeah. Century Club. That's unreal. That's unreal. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, let's, let's, uh, let's start at the end and then go back to the beginning and then cover everything in between. But you know, now, this isn't the end, but this is where you are now. You're an executive with Salesforce. That's correct. Out of, out of Atlanta. That's right. And uh, what, what kind of... Um, what kind of team, what kind of operation do you have now? Yeah, so I lead a team of about 30 sellers across yeah. North America, yeah. and they're primarily focused on enterprise-sized companies, so you know, multi-billion dollar revenue companies, both public and private, Okay. and a couple different vertical industries. So I have commercial real estate, engineering and construction yeah. companies, as well as a couple financial companies like uh, credit union and credit companies. So your 30 reps... Are, are calling on these monster companies. Yes, at the C-level typically, too. Okay, nice. And are any of them resellers, or are they all direct? They're all direct. Okay. Yeah, yeah we've got a, um, a reselling component, but it's mostly in emerging markets like we used to do at yeah. DataStream. Right. You, know, you cover um, emerging markets because it's a lower cost to serve. Okay, and what are some of those markets you have? Or do um, you have any? I don't have any today. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. All right, yeah. cool. And do you have any of those big companies around here? I think Floral is Floor? here. Floral? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. They're a big architectural firm. Yeah. Um, that's really it Okay. In the upstate. Okay. Okay. So it's important for you to live near a big airport where you can just hop on a plane and go anywhere. It's the craziest reason to live in a city, yeah. but living in Atlanta gets yeah. you a direct flight on Delta anywhere in the world. How so. long does it take you to get to, like, to inside the airport from your house? <laughs> So I've got it down to a science now. Okay. So it's like 41 minutes without okay. traffic. Okay. And um, an old friend taught me a trick that there's a VIP parking no one knows about at yeah. Atlanta Airport. Yeah. And that cut 30 minutes off on each end. Wow. Yeah. And then you just simple tricks, John, like knowing which train car to get into in the you know so that when it pulls up to the next concourse, you get yeah. off of that train and you're right there at the stairs. Yeah. So you know how to do it. It's just efficient. That's good. That's good. Well, I'll, I'd like you to live here, so I'll, I'll throw this pitch in there. So 41 minutes to get to the uh, Atlanta airport. From here, you know, if you do the car drop-off at Charlotte, it's about an hour and 10 minutes. Right, right. That's not that That's different. Not, no, it's not. You know, and I like the Charlotte airport. Yeah. You've been trying to get me back here for a while. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, at least you're here today. That's right. Um, all right, so you did grow up around here. You grew up in Anderson, so... Outskirts of Greenville. That's right. Yeah. And what were your sports? So I played soccer. Okay. I ran cross country and track, mm -hmm. and I did a little wrestling, uh, mainly to just to get my confidence up when I was a scrawny you know, right. teenager. Right. But it kept me busy year round, yeah. and I think that's that's a good thing to be healthy and yeah. stay active. A sport every season. Every season. Yeah. That's right. That's good. Yeah. The, every now and then, when I wouldn't play a sport, I was just horrible that, yeah. that you know, just didn't do anything and yeah. got in trouble. Yeah, get in trouble. You find things to get in trouble with. You 
it doesn't clear your mind. You yeah. know, you need that activity to get the endorphins going yeah. and, and think straight. Yeah. So um, you had to decide where to go to college, and you chose the Citadel like I did. Why did you choose it, and what else were you looking at? Yeah, so I, I wasn't really crazy about going to college initially. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, I, and I don't know where it came from in my family, but I had this drive to serve our country, mm-hmm. and I thought I was going to go into the Marine Corps. Yeah. And my mother panicked because she didn't want her son getting killed in combat. Mm-hmm. So she had a friend of the family say, hey, you're smart enough to go to college. Why don't you look at this college called the Citadel in mm-hmm. Charleston, South Carolina? Mm-hmm. And you can take ROTC while you're there yeah. and then be a Marine officer. Yeah. So as soon as I saw it in the pre-nob weekend, I was, I'm like, this is the place for me. It nice. was the structure. I needed that. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, you're just enamored by the cadets and the yeah. you know, marching and the rifles. Yeah. Um, but the best decision I've ever made in my entire life. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's, it's interesting how people make that decision differently. Mine was mostly intuitive based on the graduates I saw. Yeah. Uh, my dad went there, and so a lot, I knew a lot of his friends. They just all looked like, you know, good good people, the kind of people I wanted to be. And, of course, I'm still striving to get there. <laughs> but, I mean, I, I didn't know how it worked. Right. But I figured those people went there. They're pretty squared away. They own businesses. You know, they're doing good things. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like an added benefit, John, that you don't even realize until after you finish. Yeah. The network and... Um, the context that you can have and how we take care of each other right. uh, in the brotherhood. Right. Cool. Um, what'd you do in the summers? So I worked out uh, second shift maintenance at Kiowa okay. Island yeah. uh, one summer. Uh, every summer I really worked. Yeah. I worked back in a factory that my dad worked at um, in uh, Seneca uh-huh. called Jacob's Chuck. They made the hand-tight drill chucks for DeWalt tools, drill tools, and um, always you know worked my way up from you know, midnight shift to, you know, day shift to morning shift yeah. and slowly increase my hourly pay. But again, always working each summer to save money to then have spending money throughout the year. Yeah. Very good. And, and actually it's the only time in my life when you actually get an income tax refund when you're that age. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You had enough money to go over there to Mark Clark Hall and get a bulldog burger. Yeah. If you're lucky. With yeah. fries. Right. Yeah. Man. Um, so you thought you were going to go in the Marine Corps as an officer. I did. And I forgot, I don't know you told me, but I forgot what happened to change that. Yeah, so it was, you know, all four years, did Marine Corps ROTC. Yeah. It was great. I was all in thinking I was going to have a full career as a Marine officer. Um, unfortunately, you know, you can't predict the times. And mm-hmm. we had an administration that was cutting back on the number of servicemen. Yeah. And Marine Corps being the smallest branch of the service, they were, they were reducing their, their commitments yeah. for new recruits. So the officer, recruiting officer, didn't tell me this until like February of my spring semester of senior year. Yeah, so three months three away. Three months left. Yeah, you're right? about to be shipped off to Quantico. Yeah, or, yeah. I, I was ready to go out the door. Yeah. Um, and I, I went into a deep panic. I'm like, I have no job. I'm graduating college. So wait a second. They didn't ask you to pay for college at that point, did they? They did not, no. No, so they, they said, not. we're going to honor our commitment to pay for the college, but we don't need you as an officer? <laughs> yeah. That's our government, right? It, is. it happens that way sometimes. Jeez. That's crazy. So you had three months to figure it out. Yes. Okay. All right. Three months to figure it out. And I'm telling you, there's a lot of people who are in that circumstance, but not because of what happened to you. They just hadn't thought about <laughs> right, it. Right, right. That's kind of where I was. Yeah. I was kind of like, well, I better get on it now, you know? 
What am I going to do? That's what our, that's what the book's for is to help people figure that out. Right. But um, okay, so tell us about that process because this is exactly this is the main one of the main things we're trying to solve is these kids, college kids that are about to get out. They're not sure what they want to do. They think they might go into sales. How do they do it? Yeah, it's it's interesting, John. I think you know when you have that panic set in, it's almost like cramming for a final exam. Yeah, you start getting serious about what you're going to do, um, but you start thinking about what what do you enjoy doing, uh-huh. right? And what gets you excited? Are you the type of person that could sit behind a desk all day, or do you need to be out moving around and yeah. traveling? And I wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. I knew I had a business degree or about two. Yeah, but I just. I just had you know t- started talking to friends and asking them what they're going to do and yeah. getting advice. Yeah. Right, you start yeah. asking a lot of folks, um, and then I met a good, great friend of mine, Gene Hyman. Yeah, Gene. And Gene said, "Hey, you need to talk to this guy, mm-hmm. John Sterling. Mm-hmm. He's uh, he's recruiting for a software company." Mm-hmm. And I said, what, "What is he recruiting for?" He said, "Salespeople." Mm-hmm. And I said, I, "I don't. I'm not a salesperson. I don't mm-hmm. know how to sell." And you think icky sometimes, like used car yeah, yeah, initially yeah, about sales. Absolutely. But yeah, I, I said, "All right, I don't have any other options right now, so mm-hmm. I'll I'll go meet this guy." And uh, then then I met you. Did we meet on campus or did I come to Green? We did. We met at the Career Center okay. um, through through Brent. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. So we met. Did we make you an offer? You did. Yeah. Not on the spot. Okay. Not on the spot. I took the. the I played test. hard to get. You did. Yeah, yeah. You were you were playing hard to get for me. Um, but the side story is, and I think I've told you this a couple times throughout throughout uh, my career. I was panicked, so my mom worked at Clemson, yeah. and she knew about an internship uh, abroad. Mm-hmm. And she said, "You should apply for this internship." Because it'll help build your resume. Because you don't have anything on your resume coming yeah. out of college. You have yeah. no experience. Yeah. So I applied and interviewed, and I got the internship. Yeah. And the next day was when Diane called to make the offer for Data Stream. Yeah. And you know what happened. Yeah. Yeah. It's beautiful. I, I rejected the offer. You tried to. You tried to. <laughs> I tried to. Yeah. Yeah. Only because I'd already committed to this internship. I respect that. Yeah. Yeah. But it was the funniest conversation I think I ever had, which was, hold on a second. She put the phone down. You came back on the phone. You said, hey, <laughs> what's going on here? Yeah. You got this internship? I said, yes, John. I, I got an internship through Clemson. Oh, that's great. That's great. Uh, what's the internship? I said, oh, it's, it's in London. Yeah. I'll be living in London. Oh, oh, that's great. That's awesome. So how long is it? And I said, it's about four months. <laughs> You're right, okay, so uh, August, September. What are you going to do come October? <laughs> I said, oh, gosh, John, I don't know. He said, how about this? Yeah. We're opening our first international office in Reading, outside of London. Um, you go do your great little internship, yeah. finish, yeah. and then come back to work for us in October. Yeah. How's that sound? And I didn't even think <laughs> to, to ask you that. Yeah. And it was great. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. It worked out perfectly, and I was so excited to come back. Yeah. I think that's a good story and a good example. When we talk about in the book and, and on the on the noobschool.org site, <clears throat> is people very often, they're not, they're not thinking big enough. Right. They're thinking, you know, I just need to get a job. Like my, you know, I had someone in my, in my network when I was, you know, 21 that says, John, you just need a job, Yeah. you know, kind of, and it just made me ill to even hear that. It's like, I don't just need a job. 
Right. I want something interesting, something, an opportunity, something right. I can grow with, you know? And, and I think that uh, if people think like, I really, how can I figure out a way to get what I really want? Yeah. And you have to ask people, you have to get help, you know? That's right. Um, for me, solving that problem for you was quite easy. Yeah. But I was, you know, eight years older than you. Right, he had experience. Yeah, I kind of knew yeah. how to do it. Um, I wouldn't have known how to do it at your age. Yeah, I had no clue. Yeah, so you, so TJ, you, <clears throat> you did your internship, and you started hanging out with our team over there. I did. A couple of them were Citadel guys. Yeah, yeah Rob Greer. Yeah, and, uh, and you came back and started working for us and did great, and then we offered you an international job. You did. Yeah. But the funny part of that story, John, <laughs> you didn't offer me the job. You said, hey. Mystery job. It's a mystery job. Yeah. We're not going to tell you where. Yeah. You have to accept the job first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we wouldn't tell. I don't know why we did Maybe we were trying to trick you, but we, 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 the, the job was in, like, Africa. It was Africa and the South Middle East. Africa. Yeah. Yes. So we didn't want to, like, show that, show our hand. Right. We just want to make sure you really wanted the international job, but. Yeah, because I was thinking like Italy or someplace <laughs> romantic, you right, know. Right. And it was Africa in the Middle East. And I'm like, I don't know the first thing about Africa. <laughs> <laughs> but you did great over there. I know you did particularly well in South Africa. I did, yeah. yeah. We signed up three more resellers down there yeah. in uh, Johannesburg, Port Harcourt. Um, it was it was great. Yeah. They were good. But for that us. real that started your um your your interest in doing business and traveling to so many countries. It really did. Yeah. Yeah, for me, it was so intriguing because, you know, there's different types of selling, even in North America. You know, New Englanders are different from Southerners. Mm -hmm. We're different from the Midwesterners and Californians. Yeah. But once you go internationally, the way you interact with them and the cultures and their mannerisms is so different yeah. than just, you know, the United States. Yeah. Yeah. And they're all different. They are. Yeah. They're all different. I find it makes selling here a lot easier. It does, because it's very you know, planned. Mm -hmm. And because we're Americans, we know how to deal with Americans. Yeah. Um, when I did selling down in um, Bogota, Colombia, uh -huh. uh -huh. I made four trips before we even talked about business. Uh -huh. and my first trip, I came back. I was scared to talk to my boss because I knew he was going to ask me, how did the trip go? Yeah. But he had already been. But he still asked me. Okay. And I said, gosh, Andy... We haven't talked about business at all. He just laughed. He said, it's, it's going to take you a couple of trips before they trust you. Wow. So you have to build that trust first. Wow. wow. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Some of those places, I couldn't take it. I mean, just just the all that delayed discussion. Yes. I mean, I would like to get down to business, business. a little quicker. Right. Um, but anyway, it, it, it is different. And I, I thought Japan was the hardest place yes. to deal with. And they take the longest. They do. Very indecisive, but they also you exchange gifts, yeah. and it's very formal and rigid. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I gave up. Gave up on Japan. <laughs> um, okay, but you so like sushi. Yeah, I do like sushi. I so, do like sushi. Something I, good it's came a beautiful, out of it. beautiful country. Right. Clean. Um, so you you started down the international path with us, and how long did you do, did you do that job? I think I did it for almost three years, okay. like over two years. And you know, I was traveling back and forth. It's it was a journey to yeah. get there. I mean, you know yeah. that. Yeah. We didn't have direct flights back then from because I was living in Greenville. I'd have to yeah. fly Greenville to Atlanta, Atlanta to Zurich, or you know, you know, Charles de Gaulle in Paris, all day layover, and then an overnight flight down to Johannesburg. Yeah, and it. It just took so much time. So I had to really 
plan out what I was going to do and where I was going to be. Yeah. And, you know, that, that created a lot of time in between. But I also worked off hours. So I would come into the office there at like three in the morning. Yeah. Thank God we didn't have windows in our offices. And I just turned the lights on, had a cup of coffee, and I'm on their time zone talking to them. Right. And they were so impressed by that, especially when they knew I was calling from the yeah. United States. Yeah. Well, I'll say, you know, for, for, the, for the new school listeners, I mean, this is, this is a great example of, of someone who'll say, when they hear your story, they're like, God, I'd love to be doing what TJ's doing. Yeah. International travel and sales Salesforce leader. And it's like, you got to understand, you know, he would take six flights to get to, to, get, get, there. to get there sometimes and be in, you know, kind of a dangerous place sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. Um, and then he would, his hours were three in the morning. Yeah. Was eight in the morning over there. and Yeah, that's right. You're working, you're adjusting to them. Right. So you... You did some things that other people were unlikely to do to allow you to be in this position. Correct. Yeah, I think you make sacrifices on certain things. And like you said, the travel would take you two days to get there, except for the time you talked me into taking a round-the-world trip. That's right. So I left Cairo. Instead of coming west, yeah. I went east. Yeah. But, you know, silver lining out of every trip, I met, I met Mark Vandermeer, right. head of Microsoft there for the Middle East, and we're lifelong friends now. He's yeah. back in South Africa. Yeah. Met Lorbach, Todd Lorbach yeah. in Singapore on the yeah. way home. Yeah. But uh, that was exhausting, John. I know. But I recommend it. I actually talk about that in the book, too. I think everyone needs to find a way to take an around-the-world trip. They do. I mean, you can buy a ticket, a one-way, t- one-way ticket. It just takes you one. You have to keep going Certainly. the same direction. That's right. And you can take it really as long as you want, and you can zigzag. You just have to keep going in the same, direction. same direction. Yeah. That's right. And so you can hit all these countries. You could probably stop in 15 countries you if could. you wanted to. Yeah, you really could. And you get to see different cultures, different yeah. how people operate, and, and even how people sell, like yeah. you know, street vendors. And, uh, and your negotiation skills get really brushed up, especially in the Middle East. Yes. Yeah. You're, I'm sure you're better at it than I am. So you, uh, you did that. And then what did you do next? So after that, um, I got out of the risky software business and John Hillman convinced David oh, Corey right. and I to go to this I, little company called Enron. I, I did that. <laughs> I set you guys up. I remember that. Yes. Oh my gosh. So it Enron was, was a, a it, Fortune Seven company. It was the with the best of intentions. You know that. <laughs> the fastest nine months I've ever had in a job. I mean, I'm not sure everyone watching will remember. Enron was the best company in the world. It was. I mean, according to Fortune magazine, Fortune. and yeah. you know, they were partners of ours. They were. they were customers of ours. And and one of their big muckety mucks was rolling up some new division. And they asked me, he said, "John, can you get me some salespeople?" I'm like, "Yes, sir. I'll give you my three best." You yes. know. Yeah. yeah, you and Corey and Hillman. Yes. You know, moved to Houston. We didn't have to. Okay. We worked remote. It was kind of when remote was just starting off. Yeah. And we were traveling. We were covering territory, yeah. so it didn't matter really where you lived. I think we went to the Houston headquarters like three times before they eventually did go out of business. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was impressive. Well, um, what an interesting time in the business world. Yes. So you that was unexpected, too. So it was just like poof, right? It, nine months, like just like But that. I mean, when, you, when everything blew up, it was like the day before everything was fine? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Everything's fine. Yeah. Everything's fine. You're, you're and making then, flight reservations. Yeah. And, you're still operating, yeah. and then all of a sudden, like no one's answering at corporate. 
It's just gone. This phone has been disconnected. Yeah, it's literally disconnected. Oh, my gosh. I mean, the people we were dealing with, you know, we just never heard from them again. Yeah. It's like gone. Yeah. Yeah, we tried to, Carrie tried to send the laptop back to Houston, and it got rejected because there was no one there to receive it. <laughs> so I still have this paperweight of an Enron laptop. Oh, my gosh. Well, that was a crazy, a crazy time. Now, what did you learn from that? It was definitely more corporate. Uh-huh. Um, you know, you learned that, you know, I think one thing I did learn was some large companies, they just spent money that they didn't really need to spend. Mm-hmm. I think our onboarding, like John Hillman was like, our onboarding is going to be like a whole week. Mm-hmm. Like, this seems inefficient. Like, we're ready to get out and start selling. Mm-hmm. And instead, we spent a week in corporate housing doing HR stuff. Yeah. And it wasn't, it just seemed inefficient. Um, I also learned that some of these large corporations didn't know how to really sell. Hmm. They didn't have that process that we learned. Yeah. And, you know, I think we were pretty successful in the small division that we were in yeah. in terms of, you know, getting leads and working customers and uh, developing a sales pipeline. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that was a wild place. It was. It was a wild place. And so then what? Then what happened? Yeah, that was a big turning point in my life. Um, so that was August 2001. And I was pretty active, John. I was running, doing marathons and triathlons. But I didn't feel fulfilled yet. Uh-huh. And I, I was still regretting my decision to not serve our country. Mm-hmm. And I was out running one morning with Carrie. And I said, I think I'm going to look at doing the National Guard, mm-hmm. because that way I can, you know, serve our country, but also keep my corporate career going yeah. at the same time. Yeah. And we knew, we thought we knew what we were signing up for, um, but then 9-11 happened, right. and I was instantly in the recruiter's yeah. office yeah. Uh, with my hand up, yeah. um, ready to go. Yeah. And it really did change our world, um, not just 9-11, but my world specifically, because I had to go to wait the basic training. I was 28 years old, and it was a big sacrifice. You know, Carrie was working at another high-tech company. They went out of business, mm. and Enron went out of business, and we went from two corporate salaries down to private pay, mm-hmm. which you can look up on the internet. It's like it's $18,000 a year. Mm-hmm. So that was a huge setback, um, both financially and mentally. Yeah. But I, I was thinking more long-term at this point, like mm-hmm. you were saying earlier. Mm-hmm. I really thought okay, this is going to be something that I feel like I want to do is serve our country and then also keep my career going at the same time. Yeah. And so you joined the National Guard. I did. How long did that take to kind of get everything going? Yeah. So because I enlisted and I didn't go officer right away, I had to go to basic training at Fort Sill, Oklahoma. And then I came back as, uh, as a private and then... I went through my next phase of training, which was officer candidate school, mm-hmm. and that lasted almost a year. Mm. And then I finally commissioned a second lieutenant okay. in 2003. That must have been rough, being 28 and being a private and having these second lieutenants at like 22. Yes. Yelling at you. <laughs> <laughs> it was definitely rough because you're not, you know, you think you're, that's another thing in life. You think you deserve something that yeah. doesn't doesn't always match your age. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes you have to take a step back to take two steps forward. Yeah. Right? True. Well, that career, you know, I know that career, that's, let's see, that would be 20 years, 21 years so far. Right, 21 years. And you're a major now? Uh, Lieutenant Colonel. Lieutenant Colonel. Jeez. Lieutenant Colonel. Excuse me. Um, Well, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. That is awesome. That's awesome. And what your unit, what is it that they're trained up to do? 
So at the time, we were infantry. Okay. So we're the ones in the front line. Yeah. Uh, we did deploy to Iraq in 2004, 2005, and I was a, I was a lieutenant. Mm-hmm. I, I had a platoon of soldiers, and we were patrolling in Baghdad mm-hmm. for 12 hours on, 12 hours off, uh, you know, looking for weapons caches and IED-making materials and bad guys. Yeah. And it was grueling. It was yeah. really hot, um, stressful. You got yeah. two radios going, and you're, you know, commanding and controlling the battle, so to speak. Um, you know, it's very stressful, and it takes yeah. a lot out of you. But we came back, came back. Yeah. Um, luckily, brought all my soldiers back alive, um, and went back to my corporate job. So it's literally like you're taking one hat off and putting your corporate hat back on. What was that corporate job at the time? So I did come back to DataStream. You went back to DataStream. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Because yeah. Because yeah, we told you, right? I mean, you'd come back. You did. Yeah. You did. Yeah. That's right. And it was great. Best decision yeah. coming back. Um, and you guys were fantastic. You know, there's a minimum amount of support that a company should do yeah. for military members, especially National Guard and Reserve. But you guys went above and beyond, yeah. uh, you and Larry and the whole crew. We were so grateful. Well, you deserved it. You deserved it. We are very proud of you uh, for what, what you've done. Um, I was going to say, I, I, remember, I wish I still had that picture of you, though, that you sent me when you were, like, in your little hut in Afghanistan when you had that big old mustache. <laughs> yes, yes. And you look so... So angry. <laughs> You're like, I'm so ready to get out of here. I was ready to come home. Yeah. Yeah. It was time. That's enough's enough. Right. right. So two radios. What what are the what are you hearing out of the different radios? So one radio is for hire. So it's for your headquarters back on the base. Okay. And you're communicating to them where you're at, all the, the five W's. You know, what's going on, where you're at, what are you doing, yeah. who's with you. Um, and there's an expectation that you're giving these updates at a certain period of time yeah the other radio is internal to your troops that you're controlling okay. so some of them are not within shouting distance so you have to communicate over the radio to okay. them. And they're all wearing something they're wearing too. headsets okay. too yeah okay wow one experience yeah and so you got right back in the data stream thing and you you had to deploy again didn't you i did <laughs> so they have this thing called the it's, it's very long but the arphogen model and uh-huh. it was meant to go in five-year cycles. Yeah. And we got back in 2005, and within two years or three years, they said, hey, you're going to be in tap to go again, this time Afghanistan. Uh-huh. So I was, you know, okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was a captain. I was a company commander at that point in time. I just didn't, you know, I wasn't as excited to go do my job as, yeah. as a, you know, combat in combat. But, but we trained up really well, and it was more remote. And it was more serious this time, I uh-huh. should say. I mean, it's always serious, but yeah. it, the intelligence we were getting were that the bad guys, the Taliban, they weren't just um, they weren't just shooting at you and then leaving. They would shoot at you and close with. They would they didn't care if they died mm. essentially. So you knew if you were going to get in a firefight with the bad guys, it was going to be a legit mm-hmm. firefight. Mm-hmm. So I tried to instill, especially the young soldiers, the new ones who just got out of basic training, yeah. were ready to get in the fight. And said, "Don't wish that to get in the fight. It'll come to you eventually. Yeah, you know, yeah. don't don't rush it." And uh, it was definitely a more serious deployment. Um, my kids were a little older at this point. You know, yeah. the twins, yeah. Chloe and Sophie, yeah. were uh, five or six, and Thomas was born. He was two or three, yeah. and uh, it was harder to leave the family mm-hmm. and and data stream again. Yeah, yeah. But we came back. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. And you came right back to data stream. I did. Right? Yeah, of course. Same, same welcome. It was. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. It was great. That's awesome. 
And then did you stay until we sold the company or did you leave? Yes. You did? I did. Actually, I stayed quite a bit more afterwards. So when we sold Datastream to Infor, um, I ended up staying for another five or six years. Okay. So we sold in 2006. You stayed till 11? Yeah, around 11. And then you went to Oracle? Oracle. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So you made the jump to a much higher level or bigger anyway software company. And Oracle, I think, is, I mean, I think... There's probably no more well thought of or more aggressive sales force than Oracle. Correct. Yeah. That's exactly why I wanted to go there. I wanted to experience it and yeah. see. I was always intrigued. It's about like the Marine Corps of corporate of, It's selling. the Marine Corps of corporate, right? <laughs> yeah, they were definitely, um, when we talked earlier about having a, a sales process, yeah. they had a sales process. Yeah. And yeah. it was winning. Yeah, you were going to win at Oracle. <sighs> Take no prisoners. Take no prisoners. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's it's amazing. I think it's also amazing uh, again for for the readers and the, the listeners that you know here's TJ from Anderson. You know, went to Citadel, worked at our little company in in Greenville, and he's out there kicking ass with Oracle. Yeah, you know, and now Salesforce. And right. so there's you know all the people that are in these 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 glamour positions that we see, they came from somewhere. They did. You know, they put their shoes on just like yeah. we do. Right. They come from somewhere. So don't ever sell yourself short. You can do it. That's right. Um, that's that's the starting point. Is you got to believe. Yeah. You can do it. That's right. And you're certainly doing it. So, give us some things that you learned uh, at Oracle. Yeah, definitely sales structure, um, the sales process. You know, I think when when I well, like you said, when you think about Oracle, you think about a, an excellent excellence in selling. Yeah. And you know, we we had to structure territories and look at the proper number of accounts per rep that yeah. you can drive the right amount of revenue to meet a quota mm-hmm. and setting the proper quotas, um, and then just the you know the inspiration like that winning mentality mm-hmm. like you're you know you do all your preparation prior to your meetings of course but um, the confidence mm-hmm. and having that swagger mm-hmm. uh, when you go into a meeting mm-hmm. and then not cockiness but just confidence mm-hmm. and. I think that you know customers want to invest in companies that are confident of what they're bringing to them, yeah. investing in. Yeah. I had an Oracle guy call on me once at, at one of my companies along the way, and we were very small for Oracle, and I really had no need for it. We didn't need Oracle, yeah. but I, I kind of wanted to be like him. Right. You know, <laughs> I, I almost bought some Oracle just because. I, I yeah. just kind of thought I would become Oracle. Right. You know, because that he guy was so good. Yeah. He was smooth. He was thoughtful. He was a good listener. You know, he got me. He did. He caught me. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I I didn't end up doing it. But I know what you're saying. I mean, he was. You know, they they pick the right people and they train them the right way. Give them the playbook. It was good. And yeah. so you did that for a while. Um. Can you talk about like your biggest deal with Oracle that you worked on? Yeah, um, so it's a large uh, shipping company, okay. um, one of the big three here in the U.S. And you know, it was interesting because they didn't. We were selling SaaS software, so software as a service, and it's with a term, right? So a typical SaaS contract could be three years, could be five. Yeah, they wanted seven. It was seven. So it was a large, large, um, I guess, nine-figure deal. So, so they wanted to lock in the price for seven they years. Did. And this is for general, uh, all the Oracle suite, the ERP. We the, put it all in there. Everything. We did. Okay. So we bundled it all together um, and gave them 
predictability in their expenses. Yeah. So, and then we put a clause in there that said if you grow by more than ten percent, if yeah. they have an acquisition, then this is your price that you're going to have to increase yeah. to pay. Yeah. And but you're not going to we're not going to put a reduction of ten percent mm-hmm. if you sell off a division. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was predictability for them, and it was predictability for Oracle. And I think that. Uh, you know, looking back on it, it was fair, and both companies felt like you know they got they got what they needed out of the out of the deal. And so I came to in my head nine figures is how much? I think it was so like twenty million or something. No, it was two hundred and fifty million. Two hundred fifty million. Yeah. Well, you win the prize, man. Yeah. I mean, Nate Barr had the previous prize. He was like at thirty million. <laughs> yeah. Two fifty. Yeah. So two fifty divided by ten that's twenty five seven. So it's like thirty five million a year or something like that. Roughly. How many uh, would that be divided by like number of users? It's basically employee count at that point. A whole a whole company because right. they're all going to have to use it. Right. At some point. Okay, so number of employees is the thing you times into the number. So right. it's, it's X amount per employee per year. Correct. Times seven. Wow. Yeah. And then what were they switching from? They had a bunch of systems. Okay. It's typical. A mismatch. Yeah. yeah. It's some of it's homegrown. Some yeah. of it's you know our competitor. Um, I think we find a lot of companies these days as they grew. Yeah. Um, if it's not centralized through a centralized IT department, yeah. then they have pockets of systems. And you know we used to love that at DataStream. We. You know, we maintenance take a manager in this location. Yeah, and, we take a pocket. Yeah, and then you go back and try to centralize it. Yeah. So yeah, they they just had a bunch of different systems that they needed to consolidate and put it all into one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a hell of a deal. Two fifty. Yeah. Wow. Do you know anyone who's done a billion dollar deal? I don't. Well, I don't. I want you to do it. Oh, I'd love to. Okay. I'd love to. Um, okay. So you went from there to Salesforce. I did. Yeah. And Salesforce, if I'm not mistaken. One of Oracle's top people, Mark Benioff, left to start Salesforce, and he kind of started the whole SaaS revolution, right? Yes. Yeah, he had a great idea. He had an amazing idea. Yeah. I mean, it was they had these stickers that would say "software" and a circle and a line through it. Yeah. Dead. So no, you're not buying a CD or a disc. Right. You're not installing anything. It's right. all just through a browser. Right. And it really revolutionized. It's how we operate today. I right. Mean, you go on Amazon. You go on the internet. Everything's through a browser. Yeah. Nothing local. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the other thing is just that, you know, instead of paying you, uh, Oracle, you know, $250 million to so now I own the license and then another, I can't even imagine how much to install it install all. It. Yeah. And I don't know if I have any return or not for, what, three years, right. you know. That's, a, that's what makes people all weird. But you're saying, no, no, it's just this much a month. Yep. You know, if you hate us, you know, you don't have to pay us anymore. That's right. You can end that contract. Yeah. yeah it's it's just on a term. And um, a lot of companies realize that that's a better way to do business because, you know, it gives, it de-risks things yeah. in terms of their tolerance for risk. If they if it doesn't go well, there's an end to it. Right. right? It's not like you own that software indefinitely. Right. Right. Keeps everyone kind of on their toes. Right. That's cool. So you liked, I remember talking to you about this, you liked the way Salesforce was going to market and the way they did things. I loved it. Yeah. I loved it and still do today. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing company. It's one of those companies that because Mark Benioff was able to start his own company, he, he actually took a sabbatical. Um, I think he went to Bali or somewhere just to kind of like clear his mind yeah. after Oracle. 
And he got a lot of great advice from a lot of advisors, having great mentors and guidance. And he said, we're going to um, establish this company on core values. So trust was one of them. Customer success was another one. Mm -hmm. And uh, customer innovation. So he, he knew he needed to build great software, but he also needed the customers to trust them mm -hmm. because it's a SaaS agreement. And to this day, we're over 80,000 employees globally, and we still feel like those are the core values, and we're living and breathing them. That's great. Yeah, it feels really, really good. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying it, um, and it sounds like you have a great team. I wanted, well, one more question on you, and then we're going to get some specific questions. But So where do you go from here? Where do you want to see your you know, career go Oh. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's an interesting question at this point in my life, mm -hmm. John. We talked about this the other day. Um, you know, you kind of start. You don't think you're as old as you really are. Uh -huh. You know, you're like I'm still 26 in my mind, yeah. but you're not. And yeah. You have to think about where where you want to go next. Yeah. You know, in the short term, I'm really enjoying what I'm doing at Salesforce. Um, I definitely would like to continue. You know, bringing in great big deals and uh, having a successful team and and watching them grow. I get a lot more fulfillment now and at this point in my career to, to help others and have, see them achieve what they what they want to do, mm -hmm. um, and that it just makes you feel good. Mm -hmm. You know, I think if you if you're a leader that is invested in your in your people and take care of your people, then that's it's such a fulfilling feeling, mm -hmm. and and then they know that that you have their back and yeah. they can trust you. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. So just continuing doing what you're doing. Um, hopefully doing more of it. Right, for the short term. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so let's talk about interviewing. One of the things uh, the Noob School folks always ask about is like getting that first job and interviewing. And I'm sure not only have you interviewed yourself, um, including with me, yeah. but you've interviewed a lot of people. So just give us just some highlights of some of the good things people do when they're interviewing that gives them a chance to get the job, and then some of the goofball things yeah. they might do. Yeah, and some something you don't even realize you do. Yeah, right. I think right off the bat, when you ask that question, the first thing that comes to mind is being timely. Right. Mm -hmm. You yeah. know, that's like the number one <laughs> yeah. thing. I know others have talked about it yeah. too, and you know, you can't stress that enough. Be early. Yeah. You know, in the military, we have a saying: if you're five minutes before, you're late. Yeah. Right. You need to be ten minutes before. Yeah. Um, so being on time, um, how you present yourself. Um, and being a good listener mm -hmm. and providing short, concise answers mm -hmm. uh, is always important yeah. and not going on and on. Yeah. And then the eye contact yeah. that we talk about yeah. all the time, yeah. it's so critical. Um, then you know that that person's engaged in the conversation. Yeah, yeah. All right, what about some, some of the things somebody might do or have done that you just instantly you are just like, not going to happen? Yeah, I think... Um, Definitely, like, if they're too inquisitive mm -hmm. or if they're too digging too down deep into um, me, the mm -hmm. interviewer, mm -hmm. uh, in terms of what I'm doing, or if they don't, like, say, you know, appreciate the time at the end or mm -hmm. maybe even try to close. It's not a necessary step, but mm -hmm. I certainly like when they say, you know. How do we do? How do we do, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and then asking for the interviewer's contact information to follow up. Mm. Um, a follow-up thank you email is critical. Mm -hmm. Like that, you know, that step has to happen. Yeah. If you don't, if they don't thank me, then I feel like 
they didn't value that time that we had together. Yeah, plus, I mean, we tell, we tell them <clears throat> that this is your first sales job. Right. And if you just interview with TJ, he's a prospect now. Right. He needs to be in your, your follow-up Call system, right? right? Calling, following up, send him a gift, send him a this, send him a little hat, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I think people don't understand that it's, it's not out of their hands. Right. Well, I interviewed, and I hadn't heard back yet. Right. Right. Well, no, it's not good enough. Yeah, you have to follow up. You gotta sell. Right. You gotta sell. That's good. That's good. We talked also about the uh, uh, not being uh, not being pressed. It's like if you're if you're if you're wrinkled or you know, yeah, shoes are all scuffy. You know, you know, maybe we can get away with that. You know, once we're hired a little bit. <laughs> yeah. If you're kind of sloppy like I am, but I can guarantee you, it wouldn't be that way if I was interviewing with you. That's right. I would be all. You know, squared away. Locked, locked in. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think I told you, too, I went through 12 different interviews for Salesforce. Wow. And every interview, I wore a suit. Yeah. And that's really not the Salesforce thing. Yeah. But I, I just knew, like, better to dress up yeah. than to be undressed yeah. and down too, too yeah. low. And uh, I'll never forget, like, I think that, you know, being on time, being early, and presenting yourself, yeah. right? Yeah. Definitely establish yourself as a serious person. Correct. And someone, you, you know, if you're hiring for a salesperson, you're thinking, am I comfortable sending this person to see this $250 million opportunity? opportunity you know, guess. someone who was late? Right. No. no. Wrinkled? No. You know, slumped? No. No eye contact? No. You know, so, yeah. Yeah, those are just the basics. Like just the basics. I right? know. Just the basics. Must do. Yeah. And, and another, you know, some advanced things people do is, you know, to, to like if I was interviewing with you, I would like figure out who you knew and find somebody like Gene. I know Gene Heidman. I'd say, Gene, would you call TJ and just put in a good yes. word for me? Yes. So when I sit down, the first thing you're going to say is, hey, before we get started, Gene called me. Right. You know, how do you know that rascal? Right. And it's a different conversation. It's 100% different, John. And you have to realize that the technology is all at your hands today. Right. You know, it used to be you'd have to really do some research. Yeah. But now... Just go on LinkedIn yeah. and see what that person's interests are. Yeah. And you just have to make that one or two connections, yeah. which creates natural conversation flow. Yeah. Well, you're the one who told me, because um, this question came up. We have a Q&A portal in, on their website. And the question was, you know, this prospect has ghosted me. Right. It won't come through. And TJ's the one who said, find out where they went to college and order it online, like a, a hat or a T-shirt or something the name of that college on it and send it to them and just say, Hey, I see you went to Vanderbilt. Enjoy the hat. Let's just buy me 10 minutes. Right. You know, I mean, right. just come out and say it. And, uh, it works like a charm. It does. It? Like if they played baseball at Vanderbilt, yeah. get a baseball with their name engraved on it from Vanderbilt yeah. and send it to them. Yeah. They'll remember you Yeah, and they'll, they'll ask you back. Yeah. There's lots of stuff you can do. There's lots of stuff you can do just to mess things up and they're so easy not to, but there's also a bunch of stuff you can do. Make yourself even more hireable. Hireable, yeah. Um, okay, that's good on interviewing. Um, let's talk just real quickly. We talked about this the other day. When we were kind of doing our prep conversation. Yes. But when someone walks in the room and you don't know them, that first ten seconds, when very often you make that yes or no decision, right. What's what's a no decision look like when you see the person? Somebody who's doesn't look excited, just kinda, doesn't want to be there, or scared. Yeah, yeah. It's 
I mean, naturally as humans, there's a lot of that nonverbal communication. Yeah. It's like 90% nonverbal. Yeah. It's just how you appear. Mm-hmm. A smile. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a smile. Or, you know, interest, leaning yeah. in. Yeah. Those are, those are so critical when you're walking up to someone. Yeah. It makes, it kind of takes the ice off a little bit. Yeah. And then just having natural conversation, you know, know. trying to find some commonality. Right. Uh, where are you from? Oh, yeah, I, I've traveled there before. And yeah. just little little things that can help start the conversation. Yeah, and like you said, not too much. Not too much. You say, I see you uh, witness to St. Thomas one time. Yeah, well, I went there. I spent a summer and just blah off to the races. Like, right. no, no. Too much. Too much. It's a fine line. Yeah, interesting. Um, so let's talk about back, maybe back to Enron or something else, but... I mean, you, you had, like you said, you had two great corporate incomes going, and you were working for the best company in the world, Enron. <laughs> right. And, you know, you probably had an unlimited travel budget and just could do anything you wanted. Right. And then it was just snap of the fingers over. Yes. So talk about the mindset that makes you stay positive and work through that to get back on the horse and, and get where you've gotten to today. Yeah, I think you have to have some humbleness, humility, and 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 realize that, you know, there's and you can recover from this, right? Yeah. The best part is having that experience to fall back on mm-hmm. and getting back to your roots. Yeah. So the simplicity of okay, you know, there's economic headwinds sometimes, there's there's natural disasters, there's terrorist attacks, there's Things that happen outside of our control, mm-hmm. but you have your brain and your mentality to control how you're reacting to the situation. Yeah, um, and then just going back to your roots. Like I knew when Enron was going out of business, I did have the military to start going through training. But yeah. when that was over, I didn't have a job, uh-huh. and Carrie didn't have a job. Yeah. So there was that concern of how are we going to make money? How are we going to do the things that we enjoy to do or pay for that? Um, but then just going back to your network, I think I called you, yeah. I called a lot of folks and, you know, just, you know, didn't ask for a job per se, yeah. but you say, Hey, I'm, I'm in the market. Do you know anybody or how can yeah. you set me up with a contact or two? Yeah. And, and that, that process, um, came naturally yeah. with experience. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would add, you know, having been through one or two down cycles myself, um, that, you know, the first thing you have to, even though you might feel horrible, yeah, you might just feel horrible. I'm like, why? And oh, I should have done this, or right. not fair, or whatever. You have to remember this longer time horizon that surely it's going to be okay by here. That's right. You know, we don't know how yet, but right. are you kidding? I'm not going to be here forever. Um, and then the other is, is to, again, with, with humbleness, reach out to your friends and your contacts. Don't say, hey, can I borrow $500? Just say, here's the situation I'm in. I need your feedback. Correct. What yeah. would you do? Right. What leads can you think of? And they're not all going to help you. Right. But one might. One might. That's all you need, right? <laughs> it's volume. Yeah. But they'll tell you something. They're not coming by finding you. Right. They can't find you unless you tell them. Unless you raise your hand. you got to raise your hand. Right. And you got to tell them. And it, it's... Uh, you know, it's hard to do because you're not feeling so good at that time, but that's the answer um, is, to, is, to, is to reach out to your friends, tell them the situation, yeah. what, what, what would you do, what leads do you have. And, and the other thing, I, I, Warren Buffett you know, has so many great uh, pieces of advice 
one that I heard just the other day, he's like, the best advice I can give you is whatever it is you're into, get really good at it. Right. Selling software, you know, teaching salespeople something, being a lawyer, whatever it is. He goes, if you're really good at it, doesn't matter what's going on. Yeah, it comes naturally. So, someone is going to hire you to help them with that. 100%. Yeah. Whether you have a lot of money or a little money, someone's always going to hire you to to do that. So, yes. you know, whatever you're doing, get into it. And again, I think you should be doing something that you like. Yeah. Yeah. And I, throughout these interviews, something I learned, I think you and I have talked about this too, John. I always tell people it's really three things. It's, you know, be passionate about the company that you represent. Do you believe in that company? Do you believe in their products enough to represent them. Yeah. Because in this day and age, if you're sitting in a boardroom with C-level executives, they've seen it all. Yeah. So if you're not sincere with the way you're presenting that that solution or that company, yeah. they can see right through that. Yeah. The second thing is making sure that you have a, a good relationship. You don't have to be best friends with your direct manager, but people leave managers. They don't leave companies necessarily. I think a lot of people have seen that on the social channels. And I believe that. Yeah. I think you need to have a, a healthy working relationship. If you can have more, that's great. Mm -hmm. But it should be a two-way relationship with your manager. So that's the second thing. Yeah. The third thing is you have to. It's got to be financially viable for you, and you should be earning what you what you're worth, right? So if there's a trajectory for a career path at that company, whether it's a couple years or twenty years. Um, that those three components really need to be there mm -hmm. uh, in order to have a successful job at that company. Yeah, that's great advice. That relationship with the manager. <clears throat> again, I, I've I've only had like one manager. I think <laughs> <laughs> Larry was a great. He was a great partner and a great great manager yes. too. Um, but you know, the having the skill and the courage to bring things up and, and not let little things become big things, to have that conflict resolution mentality, yes. um, it's good. And the other thing I'll tell people, I don't know how you feel about it, but you got to physically try to be around those people. Yes. Because if you, if you move to Timbuktu, they're going to they're gonna forget about you. Out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. They'll be, like, be like, what about TJ? Well, he's making his number, but I don't know how. I, mean, yeah. I, haven't, I haven't seen him in six months. I don't right. know what he's doing over there. I mean, you've got to keep the physical contact. Yeah, 100%, John. I think that was hard during COVID, right? Yeah. So we had a period of time where we're just in this 2D screen environment. Yeah. But as soon as we started getting back out there, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and bring, bring your manager or your manager's manager into deal cycles, mm -hmm. um, having them having a vested interest yeah. in that deal and that, in that customer yeah. is critical executive mapping. We do it all the time yeah. and trying to find that natural fit between one of our executives and one of their executives. Yeah. And that, that takes research too. You yeah. spend time on LinkedIn and see who might be a good fit. You're, you're playing matchmaker really. Right. Um, but you have to have that in-person presence. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's, I think it's uh, for the, for the brand new salespeople, you know, I think it's so smart to get either your VP of sales or your owner involved in some of these deals. It, it, you know, it's not certainly these companies I'm talking about aren't Salesforce, but they can still, you can say, hey, Charlie, you know, do you know the guy who owns uh, Fairway Ford over here? Right. Cause, yeah. So could you come with me and come bring him into the meeting and talk and just make sure, you know, first of all, 
you get some attention from your boss, right? And he's not going to fire you for losing that deal because he was in he on was it. In on it, yeah, that's right. He was in on it. All right, uh, TJ. Two more questions. Yes. Um, what's your favorite word? Gosh, you know, I had to think about that one, John. Yeah. Um, I think it, right now it's humility. Humility. Yeah. Okay. Tell us why. I think you know if you're if you bring a sense of humbleness. Uh, to the conversation, um, you know, people understand that you're genuinely interested in that mm-hmm. conversation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think I always, as a leader, especially in the military, you you want to prop up those who work around you, for you, with you, uh, and their successes and put the shining light on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll appreciate you more, work harder for you, and and uh, they're kind of in the foxhole, so to speak, as yeah. you say. yeah. Uh, same applies in the corporate world, um, having a, a level of humility, uh, especially in deal cycles mm-hmm. where, um, you know, you may not win every deal, but you, at least you, you're uh, professional in the way you carry yourself. Mm-hmm. Got it. It's a great word. Um, and, the, and lastly, TJ, is there anything that you want to promote today? You know, I think, yeah, obviously the noob school psych is awesome. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we didn't have that, right? Like That's right. we had to learn. Yeah. And, you know, you were a great teacher and a mentor and still are to me and, and all of, all the data streamers out there. Uh, I would say, you know, make sure that, you know, you're looking at the noob school. And, you know, I like Simon Sinek. I think he's great. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he puts a perspective in a, a lot of his, um, you know, quotes and, and speeches. So uh, I like him a lot too. Good. Good. Yeah. Well, maybe one day you'll have your own channel. We'll see. Well, I appreciate maybe it's it. a sub channel under yours. A sub sure. channel. Well, we'll be, <laughs> be partners. That's right. Well, TJ, thanks for being with us today. You've got a great career, and uh, thankful to to call you my friend. Thank you, John. Right. So great to see you. Thank you. All right. Yes, sir.